What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody. This week, Shane and I have a special guest. I say that every week, but this one is special. Tonight, this is going to be a little bit of a different format. Our guest is an alum of Archbishop Keogh, and we're using the name Lee to talk to her tonight. And she has requested that the format be that she be given the opportunity to read her story to you as a statement. And if Shane and I have any follow-up questions, we might ask for that opportunity at the end. Thank you definitely, Lee, for agreeing to sit down with us to to talk about this. I do want to add that we already know that you did tell this information to the Attorney General for the Attorney General's investigation that's happening for Maryland. So why don't you go ahead and dive in and tell us your story? Okay. Thank you very much for this opportunity. The first day of freshman year, during placement testing, Father Maskell came in to the classroom before lunch. He pointed at me and asked me to speak with him in the hallway. I did as he asked. He offered to give me some more time to finish the test in his office, which I was happy to accept. Looking back, I think, who wouldn't accept the opportunity for additional time for placement testing? Soon after entering his office, he began asking me very uncomfortable questions. I was the most naive girl then, and I was very flustered by his questions about my experience with boys, which was next to nothing. My body, my thoughts on sex, and what I think my parents do. He suggested I should listen at their bedroom door at night. I found an excuse to leave after several minutes, only to find myself against his office door with a doorknob in my back and him on me, telling me terrible things about how wicked I am and that Jesus will make him do things to me that will cleanse me and make me a good person, that it wasn't his choice, but that of Jesus, and it would hurt, but that I would be saved way. I recall thinking the worst thing that I had done was borrow something from my sister, so the punishment couldn't be so bad. I was so confused because I knew I didn't deserve to be hurt by a priest, but priests are basically God. The next thing I knew, I was in the corridor outside of his office with his door closed and him behind it. Until he left Keo, I avoided that office area and him as much as I could. Several times he found me, but he never succeeded in getting close like that again. Soon after, I told my mother vaguely what happened, saying that it was one of my new classmates. 
her reply was that my friend was probably lying and that she should accept the priest's offer to help her. No way. I never told my friends why I would hide behind them. I never confided in anyone at Keo. I wanted the whole experience to just disappear. Many years ago, my mother-in-law mentioned his name because he was in the newspaper. Someone had accused him of sexual abuse. I swear I never heard his name before. We had a discussion about Keo's priest, but I had no recollection of us ever having one. She insisted, and I insisted. In my mind, they never had a priest. I woke up in the middle of the night with vague memories of him being a Keo priest. Then I saw a picture, and the memories were overwhelming. I've always remembered going to the Sparks Retreat House and meeting a new priest named Father Fran Maluli. He restored my trust in priests. We had long, heartfelt discussions in small groups and individually. All of these meetings were very comfortable. The day we were leaving, I looked for Father Fran to say goodbye, but I was unsuccessful. As I was sitting on the bus, he knocked on the door, jumped on, and called my name. I was thrilled. He came to where I was sitting and gave me a hug and a small, soft, leather-bound New Testament. He said a general, friendly goodbye to the other girls, but I was the only one he called by name, hugged, and gave a gift to. I've always remembered the situation, but not the why. This was in 1975, week before Maskell left Kiel. Years passed, and our daughter was preparing for confirmation. The news in Baltimore that we had a new archbishop, who turned out to be Father Fran Maluli, and he was going to confirm her class. My daughter told me that during their class meeting with him, Archbishop Maluli turned to her and said that she reminded him of someone he knew a long time ago and gave my name. How strange is that? We met for three days in 1975. He had not seen me since. This was 2001. I saw him at the confirmation and he was very nice and so familiar toward me. Odd, but lovely. I wondered why he remembered me after all this time and why did he ever give me the Bible? I've seen him several times since and he's always friendly, inquisitive about my family, and familiar. I always thought it was unusual, and while watching episode seven of Keepers, Bishop Maluli said on camera that he learned about Maskell from the newspaper in 1994. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. 
You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. If if someone just slapped me in the face, I vividly remembered what I told him about Maskell during my retreat in 1975. That's why he sought me out, gave me the Bible, and remembered me so well. Furthermore, I remember when he hugged me, he said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Soon after, Maskell was gone. It all makes sense to me now. I can link him to Maskell leaving Keo, and he knew Maskell was abusing kids. Another memory returned during Mass a few weeks after watching the show. I was looking around the church with a blank mind and saw the confessional. I had not been in there, a confessional, since high school. My husband wanted me to go before we were married in 1984, but I told him then, and I say to this day, I will never go in there again. I didn't know why, but never. When I saw the confessional, I remembered that the last time I was in one, Maskell told me that for my penance, I needed to talk with him about how I masturbate and something else. I have no idea. I shot out of there and I've never returned. I'm sure a lot of people are shocked at what they just heard from you. I do want to ask a question just for clarification, if that's okay with you. Sure, of course. You sh- you shared with us that Maloli gave you a Bible. Was this his own like personal Bible or was it a new Bible? Do you remember? Yeah, it was brand new, very small. It was just a New Testament. I still have it. He signed it with the date. Just It was just a small token right. from their gift shop. I guess that was my second question that he actually did it is signed in his handwriting with date, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. I'm kind of speechless. You and I have talked about this before, but to hear you tell your whole story and share it with everybody that's listening really corroborates Charles Grand's story and others who believe that a person in authority knew about the abuse way before the nineties and at the time that you met Maluli, was he a, he was a priest or was he a bit an archbishop? He was a priest. He was brand new priest, mm-hmm. newly but, ordained. Right. But he would still be considered a person of authority, correct? I would say so. But when people say, you know, tell somebody in authority and many women and men have claimed that they told somebody in authority, I would think that telling a priest who was supervising a retreat would certainly right. be the right person to tell. And Shane, it was never you, my mission right. to tell, to attend the retreat and expose this. It just was a very natural point of conversation. So mm-hmm. confident in our conversation. And I just 
felt at the time that was the right person at the right time to tell. Do either of you remember what day or what year Mahuli became the archbishop? It's Maluli, Shane. Maluli, <laughs> you and yes. Tra- you, and, you and Charles keep mispronouncing him. I know. <laughs> no fiction. Maluli. It was, he became the Archbishop of Wilmington, correct, Lee? The first position was Archbishop of Baltimore, and that was okay. in 2000, 2001, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's currently the Archbishop of Wilmington. This question will probably be an answer that you'd have to give, Gemma, but after Maskell was moved, when Lee came forward, what happened to him? Where where was he sent? Maskell was moved from Archbishop Keogh to the Catholic Center in downtown Baltimore, and he was assigned inside the Catholic Center to the Division of Schools. His job there, one of his jobs, was to evaluate foster children in his office for placement in foster homes. And this was his work with Catholic Charities, which is a, uh, an organization run by the Catholic Church. People make donations to Catholic Charities, and they support a lot of good things. But for whoever was responsible for Maskell at that time to allow him to be around foster children, I can't even make a comment about that person. We don't know who it was. I'm assuming it was the archbishop, but how in the world would you want this man, since he's been reported, to be with foster children? That was his job. He was there for five years. We also know that he had access to different schools and parishes around the archdiocese so that he spent time in different places around Baltimore. I also understand that some jurors from one of the Catholic high schools were doing community service at the Catholic Center and that he employed them as volunteers in his office to help do filing, whatever. And it's my understanding that they quit because he was so strange. So I have no idea what overtures he made, but he certainly was not in a place where he should have been around children at all. Lee, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to Sean King, who is the spokesperson for the Archdiocese in Baltimore. And one of the things that our conversation touched on was that he is very adamant that no one spoke about anything to do with abuse from Maskell. So knowing that he told me that, what would your response to that be? That the police were covering for the archdiocese. Maskell's brother, cousin, I believe, were policemen. And they were in contact with him. I'm sure that they had a pact that this won't go far. You will be protected. From your perspective, Lee, in telling Father Fran Maluli in 1975, which resulted in Maskell being moved out of Keogh, Would that indicate to you that Maloli reported the abuse to his superiors? Yes. Yes. And he told me he would take care of it. I guess we need to ask Mr. Kane what his understanding of that situation was, because obviously now we have 
a firsthand witness who is sharing that she did indeed do what we ask young people to do, and that's to report to a person in authority. And Lee, we're, I'm just so sorry that this happened to you. Thank you. I got around it. He tried and multiple times to get me into his office again during the next three years. And I just refused to go. And he would call me to his office and the teachers would dismiss me from class. I am sure that they, at minimum, suspected what was going on. The first time I went down, I remember his office door was open and I asked him what he needed. And he told me to come in and close the door. And I told Maskell, I will never go in your office again. And I walked away. And I was not a strong person. I was a very shy person. Yet I knew that I just could not go into his office again. So he started to do things like go to the nurse's office and ask the nurse to come to her office. And then he would stand out of her door, in front of her door, and wait for me to come down to the nurse's office. And then he'd try and get me to go into his office. And I would refuse. As soon as I'd see him, I just turned and walked away. And the only time that he really had me as a captive audience was in that confessional. And I'm sure that he either had another priest's name on the marker above the confessional or no priest because I would never have gone into a confessional if I knew it was Maskell in there. Was this a Keogh in the Keogh Chapel? Yes. Yes. And I was completely unaware that it was him until after I had said my confession and he addressed me by name and told me that I needed to talk to him about masturbation. And then he said something else. And I remember feeling shock and overwhelmed. And then he said something else. And I just blew out of there. I did not remember that until several weeks after watching The Keepers. And like I said, I was just mindlessly enjoying the peace of church. And the confessional caught my eye. And that memory slapped me. We hope that those of you who are listening to this understand that what Lee experience is considered sexual abuse. Pushing someone against a door with your with his body and making the kinds of comments he made to her. There was no actual interaction in any other way between them, but that is considered sexual abuse. So if you were subjected to that by anybody, please know that there's help there for you and that it's something that you have to that you really have to share with somebody, especially if it's clergy. And if anything that like this happens to you at Keogh or any other Catholic high schools in Baltimore Archdiocese, please make sure that it gets reported to the police and to the attorney general's office. And as always, we have that information on Shane's Lee. 
I wanted to ask you one more question. You mentioned earlier that you had talked to your mom about this. Were you thinking that it happened to someone else or were you trying to find out what you should do about it because it happened to you? Because it happened to me Mm -hmm. the day or two after my experience. And I was very reluctant to talk about it in the first person. I didn't want my mom to do anything. I didn't know what I needed or what was, I was very confused. So I started just talking about it in general terms. And when she, as a result of her very Catholic upbringing, took the side of the priest, a priest is God, and a priest can do no wrong, I knew that that was a conversation that just was going nowhere. I I couldn't tell her that it was actually me, and I didn't want to have to be made to go to see the priest. I think that she just had her mind made up because of her upbringing that the priest was right, and my friend, actually Mm -hmm. me, was wrong. And I knew that was unacceptable. I didn't do anything Mm -hmm. to provoke this. I was sitting in a classroom with a pencil doing a test and then listening Mm -hmm. to him introduce himself. Do you know if your parents have seen the keepers? They have not. Mm -hmm. If Maluli was, if you had the opportunity to talk to him face to face, Mm -hmm. would you like to say to him, can you share that with us? I would just love to see the look on his face when he finds out that I remember because I can only presume that he thinks that I've remembered all of this time and just kept it to myself and that we have this secret between us. But until seeing the keepers, I had no recollection of any of masculine existence. I just blocked it out. The minute he walked out of the building, was the minute that I put him away and never thought about him again. So I would like to tell Maluli, now I remember the mistake he made initially with me is lying on the keepers, saying that he learned about Maskell and the abuse in 1994. That's so untrue because I told him in 1975. Right now, there are thousands and thousands of people around the world listening to you and just they're incredulous at your courage and at what happened. I'd say the first time you talk about it, it's really hard. So pick someone that's not going to judge you. Fourth or fifth time that you say it, as long as you know that you are speaking 100% the truth, it becomes easier and it turns into a, I'm telling you this because if it happened to me, it's happening to other people and it needs to stop. So I encourage people that have had a terrible experience that scarred them to speak about it. It makes the scar heal so much faster. And by just sharing your experience, someone can avoid it or 
they in turn can accept that it happened to them, not because of them. And they in turn perhaps can help someone else. Lee, I wanted to close out by asking you one last question. Before I ask Mm -hmm. that question, I wanted to let you know that I really appreciate that you're willing to come forward and tell your story. We know that a lot of survivors are listening. And you've also shared with us that you've shared your story with the attorney general for the attorney general's Mm -hmm. investigation. Talk about what that experience was like, specifically for those survivors who are considering going forward to talk about it, but might be a little afraid or uncertain of what that experience will be like for them. Sure. At first, I was a bit nervous that I would be overwhelmed by the power and the bureaucracy and the questioning. But after speaking with him on the telephone, he was very warm and friendly and comfortable and a normal person that didn't have any agenda to try and make me say something that I was uncomfortable saying. I just told him that I'm going to tell him everything I know about the subject. And I, if I don't know something because of the repressed memory, I truthfully did not know. So we agreed that I would come down to his office and it was very comfortable. He had two lawyers with him. They asked questions for clarification. No one made me say anything that I did not want to say. But again, I have no agenda myself. I just said, this is the truth. This is my experience. And I was not nervous. It was not scary. I didn't feel any pressure at all. It was very comfortable. They were very supportive of me and my story. And they only asked questions for further clarification of what I had said. That's it. And the attorneys were women, correct? The attorneys were two women, correct? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. And they were, there was no judgment. There was no drama. It was just very relaxed and comfortable conversation. Thank you, Lee, so much. You are just, you're incredible. I don't know if you realize that you've impacted a lot of people by doing this with us, and we appreciate Gemma, you have done an incredible job, Mm. and you've brought out all these memories and made such an impact on so many women that and men that not only have been involved with Maslow, but in any situation that's remotely similar. It's been a, thank you, but it's been a team effort. And the memories, that's a double-edged sword because I am happy that people are feeling comfortable talking about something that they never talked about, but it's painful and it didn't happen to me. So I have compassion, but I don't know what that feels like. And mm-hmm. so for people like you to be able to tell your story and to put the timeline in place, because you are the first person besides Charles Franz who has talked about a date and corroborated his information, especially about Father Maloli. So 
this is important for everybody that's listening because I know there are other people between Charles in 67 and you in 75 that reported to an authority figure. So thank you for what you've done tonight. I Absolutely. just have to say one more thing mm-hmm. is that I've learned a lot about repressed memory from this experience because I did not put a lot of credit behind repressed memory. I really thought that it was confined to incredibly traumatic events like war and death and horrible situations. And just that one day, my first day freshman year, and I, my brain protected me by hacking it up and putting it away and not even letting me know it was there until I was prepared for that memory. Repressed memory is very real and it is to be trusted. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.